Hello, friends, and welcome to This Good Word, episode 100. We have a special episode. The podcast has been taken over by Steve's brother-in-laws, Adam and Joel, for the opportunity to interview Steve for the big 100th episode. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. So we're excited about this. Got some questions for him. Get a chance to uh, get to know Steve Weens a little better. So we're excited. We're excited about this. The father, the pastor, the joggist. <laughs> the jogging. Is it jogging or yogging? It's I'm not j- sure if the J is silent. Yeah. It might be a soft J. That's a soft J. <laughs> Definitely a soft J. Uh, during this uh, episode, we will be making up new words. We're going to uh, expand our vocabulary and our minds and our hearts and our souls. <laughs> so get ready. I've been looking forward to this for so long. <laughs> Whose idea was it? Was it yours? I think so. I think it was. Yeah, so yeah. we're excited. Here we are. So if we don't, if we get too serious, we'll, you know. Yeah, we'll, we got to bring that yeah, right we'll, back we'll up. We'll fix that. Right but, back up. But I do have some real questions, as I thought, as someone who listens to This Good Word and really so enjoys it. one of my it, brothers-in-law actually listens. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, had to, I had to come up with the idea so I could get on This Good Word, unlike the other brother-in-law you've had on when he shows up. Yeah. It's all true. <laughs> just shakes his head. I'm just shaking my head. I'm just shaking my head. Can you hear that? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's awesome. So the first real question is, why did you start this good word? And kind of what was your goal yeah. or outcome, desired outcome you had when you started this? Well, so I started it, gosh, uh, August of 2016. And I really had at least two goals. One of them was very, well, they're both pretty self-serving, actually. (laughs) But so one of them is my book was, Beginnings was coming out in January. And, um, and blog, blogs were just kind of dying. Like Mm. my blog was dying. Everyone's blog, well, everyone's blog was dying. Mine was just following that trend. I mean, it certainly wasn't just my blog that was dying, of course. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I thought maybe that would generate some new uh, interest, but I also really, I just, I love creating things. I, yeah. And I, I love, um, I love the process of thinking through like, what's this going to be titling it. I loved coming up with the concept of mm-hmm. taking one word and just sort of mm-hmm. looking at it from all the angles and uh, turning the diamond, turning the diamond rabbi. as the rabbis say. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, at first, I, I didn't, th- I didn't, I really didn't think I was going to interview people. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would just, I would riff for you know a while, and that's what I did for the first seven or eight. And then I think my first guest was Katie Schlenk, mm. uh, who I work with, and it was so fun. I mean, there was so much energy, yeah. and so um, yeah. So I mean, I think on one level it was to create some interest for beginnings, but on a on a greater level. Um, I just, I, I love to risk things and try yeah. things and see how it goes and learn. You know, like if you listen, I mean, you, you are the greatest one that always was encouraging me to like make the audio better. But the first ones, the audio levels were bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was just awful. So hopefully they're getting a little better. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people know you as the Steve Weens of the podcast, of your blogs, <laughs> of your books, you know. So how would you describe yourself? How would... If someone was sitting down with you at a cup of coffee, yeah, all these people, multiple countries that listen to this, yeah, how would you describe Steve Weens? Wow, 
I've never been. I mean, that's that's. I've never been asked that question before. Now on the list of questions tonight, <laughs> that's a softball. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I mean, I would have to go back. Like when I was a kid, I was actually very shy, um, and I still think of myself not as shy, but as um, a little quiet, and you know, in public, a little. I'm not, and everyone's so surprised by that because yeah. I think everyone assumes. I'm gregarious because of how I speak or, you know, the things I do, but I'm really not. I mean, I'm really, I'm, I'm at my best. I think like when the three of us are just hanging out around a campfire, um, I don't like crowds. (laughs) I'm not, I don't hate people. I love people. Um, but I think I'm just a whole lot more reserved Mm. than, than most people think. Um, I, I am, um, really, really creative. I love, I love creating things. I love um, trying things, and I generally believe they're going to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and they don't always. Um, but um, and I think I mean I love I love reading. I love um, a great cup of coffee. I love and I love being with a few people. Mm-hmm. But I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. highly intuitive. Um, I can't fix one thing in my house. <laughs> Um, not true. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, I was just, let me just interrupt. You did fix something in your house. This is a little yeah. bit, you've crossed the threshold. Across the threshold. I fixed my, my freaking microwave door. Which, <laughs> like a boss you did. <laughs> like a boss. But yeah, I have two earrings and I'm artsy. I'm yeah. artsy and, and, um, and yeah, that's, that's who I am. I just saw your tombstone. He had two earrings and was artsy. <laughs> and it was artsy. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm 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 dramatic too. Like I used to listen to The Cure, Depeche Mode, REM yeah. growing up, and was very very uh, in a moody, vibey. Yeah. Uh, you mod. like the music that's known as happy sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it is actually, it really? Yeah. Is it? Why Why is it called happy sad? Because it sounds happy, but it's sad. But it's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what they're saying is kind of sad, but the beats were usually upbeat. Yeah. The melodies were. Yeah. Major key. Yeah. It's yeah. happy sad. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Depeche Mode for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, As yeah. an introvert, do you find when you do the interview podcast, does because it's you and one other usually person you're interviewing, does that energize you? Or do you find even at the end of that, that you're kind of drained and you need some Steve time to re-energize? No, actually... Most of the interviews, I'm very energized by them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is. I mean, there's something about a podcast that um, it, it's very casual and comfortable, but the level of intention is raised. Right. So everyone's sort of, it's almost like everyone's sitting at attention and ready. The mm-hmm. synapses are all firing. And so, and usually I'm with someone that I don't know at all. I mean, like I, I literally don't know them. And so I'm just, so I'm a little nervous before. Why is he looking at me while he's saying that? (laughs) I I don't know. Um, Like I, I just interviewed uh, Lola Wright, Rev, Rev Lowe. She's from Chicago. And I mean, she was so interesting. I just, I was buzzing after talking to her. Mm-hmm. So no, I mean, I, I, and I don't know why that is. And, mm-hmm. and well, I would say like, I'm an, I'm an introvert slash extrovert. I'm, I'm probably an ambivert, probably 60% introvert, 40 um, extrovert. And certain types of interactions drain me more than others for sure. Uh, but the podcast really, well, and like, um, 
if so the people that I've interviewed that I have heard a lot about and read a lot of those haven't been that interesting actually mm. because you can't sort of have already heard them say everything that they're going to say right. whereas the people like I just did an, an, an interview today um, and by the time this comes out it'll probably be out but this guy is amazing Leroy Barber this dude that's um, working with leaders of color and he really promotes um, these uh, he has a website called um, hope mob and so it's kind of a crowdsourcing thing where people give money in and then the money goes out to supporting um, leaders of color who really don't get a whole lot of and like he said um, so of nonprofits only seven percent of nonprofits are led by people of color wow. only 18 percent of employees at nonprofits are people of color and so when it comes to raising money, honestly, like I had no idea, right? But usually the money goes to people who are white. Mm. And I don't think anyone's trying to do that, you know, but so so he's trying to counteract that. And mm. oh my gosh, he was so interesting. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. So what do you what do you find to be the hardest thing about doing a podcast? Um well, I would say, I mean, on the front end, it's not that hard. Like, people should do podcasts. It's it's getting the right equipment and and then playing with it, you know? Like, um, so I, I, don't, I don't think a whole lot of it is hard. I mean, usually for me, um, like, I remember before I was going to interview Sarah Bessie, right, who I really enjoy and respect, I was really nervous, you know? And same with Rob Bell. I mean, I was so nervous. And it comes through. Like, if you yeah. listen to the podcast. Now, fact, if you had invited me to be there in the room to watch, you'd probably have been a more comfortable. But no, you had two random friends that aren't related to you to sit in on that podcast. But we'll talk about that one later. You're I, right. I sense an agenda. <laughs> it's a small one. A small one. Just bitterness. <laughs> bitterness. Um but I mean, on a on a really practical level, like that would be it. Sometimes I had to affect the nerves. Um, sometimes scheduling is really hard, you know, because it's like I have a full time job and you got to squeeze it in, and, right. you know, here and there, and and um and they usually are yeah. real busy, so um so that's that's tough. But once we get going, it's so fun. It is so fun. Yeah. It's, it's like journalism meets writing school meets you know, and usually people are up for doing it, you know, because they're you were gonna pitch their book or something yeah. like that, so. Because I've noticed um, with a lot of them, you'll say, I saw you or read something yeah. about you. And yeah. I sent them an email going, yeah. hey, will you be on? And yeah. they graciously agree. Yeah, most, most, I mean, yeah, like I'm um, Pete Enns, who just wrote um, The Sin of Certainty. And another book um, about the Bible. He's just one of the great thinkers these days about the Bible. I just shot him an email like, Pete, would you, you know, I, I do this little podcast. Sure. <laughs> you know, wow. um, yeah. So, um People are up for it. Yeah. So is there someone that you'd love to interview that you haven't had the chance yet? There's, do you have kind of a bucket list of, is there someone on the top that you would love the chance to interview them? Well, Eugene Peterson would mm. be pretty much at the top of that yeah. list. He, you know, he's, um, he's pretty frail these days. Um, so, but he would be, gosh, he would be near the top, mm -hmm. near the top. He is a, he's an amazing uh, in, inspiration for sure. Yeah. One for the ages. That's cool. So, you know, you talk about it in your book beginnings yep. a little bit. And, um, but as a child, you had some kind of speech yeah. challenges. 
when do you feel like you found your voice? And was there someone or something that kind of inspired you or gave you confidence that, you know, I think people who don't know your story and see your podcast, your preaching, yeah. everything you do public speaking wise would probably be surprised. They would never think that okay. I had a oh, stuttering yeah, you had problem a speech or, problem as a, a yeah. child. So where did you find your voice? Um, well, I, I, so I did stutter from the time I could remember through 14 or 15 and then, and it didn't stop one day. It just kind of gra over the course of several years, mm. uh, faded out, which is really unusual oh. for stutters. Like if you talk to, I was having a conversation with a speech therapist and I told her what happened and she just looked at me like, you got to know that's very rare. Mm -hmm. I mean, usually people have to have pretty major speech therapy. Um, I wrote about my attempt at speech therapy in this next book that's coming out and it was not good. I mean, it was really, it, it was mean just, the book belong. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, and so I, so I, I don't know really. I mean, I, I had an 11th grade English teacher named Mr. Eret who was amazing. Um, he, uh, he challenged me one time. Uh, I was getting, it was, it was like midterms and he, he called every student up to his desk and he would show you your grade, you know, and I was not a great student. And so he showed me my grade and it was a B, which I was stoked about. I mean, I was like, B, yes. He goes, are you happy with that? I said, yes. And he said, uh, I think you can get an A. I think, I think you can be a really good writer. I'd never thought about writing, you know, so I wrote this cheesy story um, about this football player and I worked hard. I mean, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to work hard and I got an A in the class. And so all I needed growing up was someone to kind of believe in me and coach mm -hmm. me. But I, I didn't, um, cause I was so good at sports and stuff. I like, that's where people would sort of, um, that's what camp they put me in, you know? And that's sort of the words of encouragement kind of went yeah. that way a lot. Yeah. So no one, and I wasn't a good student, so no one was thinking about me in terms of, hey, you know, writing or, you know. Um, so that Mr. Eret was a big one. And then I had some, I had some pastors that I worked for early on that gave me the pulpit when I shouldn't have, you know, been given the pulpit, really. I wasn't ready. A guy named Dale DeRee, uh, who I'm still friends with, uh, my first church. A guy named Kendall Anderson, who um, I'm still friends with. Um, and they would just really, they would let me learn. Um, and I think that's where I got like, so my leadership philosophy is really figure out if you can trust someone and then set them free to mm -hmm. fail like crazy, you know, and then try, fail, learn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we're going to try something, fail at it for sure. Cause if people aren't failing at something or at least stumbling on something, then they're, then they're not, they're not pushing past, um, comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And what they already know. Yeah. So, um, so I was given some opportunities to fumble and stumble. Um, and one guy even, and I wrote about this in, in beginnings, but one guy really hurt me, but he was one of the people who helped me figure out my voice. Cause mm -hmm. he said I hadn't found my voice and I was 32 and I was sure that I had found my voice and I really hadn't yet. Mm -hmm. So he challenged the heck out of me and it, I mean, I went on a spiral mm -hmm. Um, but I would have to put him in that category mm -hmm. too. So, Does that make you want to fight to find your voice? When No, 
I, I, that, I, that made you I, wanna... yeah, I, okay. I ran, I, I quit that job. I ran away hmm. and I think I needed to, um, but no, 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 I did not have a fight. I, I just, I just curled up and died. Mm. <laughs> it was like, uh, I wanted to cry. I wanted to run and I didn't cry in the moment. Maybe I cried later in a cool way, in a, in a really, you know, rugged, uh, <laughs> handsome way. <laughs> no, I mean, I was so depressed. I was so depressed. Um, and that's another thing I would say back to like people, what people don't know about me. I mean, I've struggled with depression my whole life. I'm on medication for that. Um, and that's something that I, you know, um, that I have, have said, I need help. You mm-hmm. know, there's a chemical thing wrong in my brain. And so I can try real hard to be happy or yeah. I can get some help. And so that was a couple of years ago when I kind of did that reach out. So did the writing bug, it sounded like it started kind of in high school. Is that where you kind of, but then it went dormant, dormant for, a, for while. a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I started a blog probably in 2001 or two, but it was the crappiest little I mean, I would blog every three months and horrible, horrible stuff. So I don't know if anyone read it. Um, but then I was having lunch with my friend Steph. Um, and actually, it's now she's my friend. But she, we, we, we were just meeting Steph Spencer. And she, and she said, you know, do you write? And I go, yeah. And she goes, well, you know, show me some of your writing. And I didn't have anything to show her, you know, because I wasn't writing. And she goes, you should start a blog. And I go, blog. Um but she convinced me to just do what I wanted because I was afraid. I didn't want to do comments, and I'd just seen too many bad comments. The blogger mm-hmm. comments, you know, the, the Facebook comments, the blogger comments, the YouTube comments, they're just swirling in the sea of decrepitude. Yeah. Um, so, so she goes, well, don't do comments. And I did do comments, but that set me free to try something. Mm. And so in 2013, I really started writing. I mean, I blogged almost every day for about a year and a half. Um, and that was when I flexed the muscle and that was when I, I mean, I, I just got better by writing, you know? So then I had the idea to write a book and, but again, I was like, I don't know if I can write a book. I mean, I know I can write every day for a year and a half, so let's try it, you know? So again, it was one of those things that this could crash and burn, but I got a hold of a little book by Michael Hyatt called how to, how to write a winning, uh, book nonfiction book proposal. I followed that to the letter, sent it to an agent, um, and the agent I found by looking in the back of someone else's so, some book of an author that I really liked and said who was her agent, and it was Chris Verby. So I emailed Chris Verby, and a couple weeks later I got an email back. Let's talk. You know, I'm like, what? You know, and I just had no clue how any of this worked. So we talked. I was. I was, I'm down on my basement right now. I was just, I was pacing around here talking to him for an hour and a half. And I, I so had no idea. Like, I'm like, I thought he was interviewing me, but really I was interviewing him, you know? So at the end of it, I go, how does this work? You know? And he just like, well, I'll, I'll send a contract over and, you know, we'll sign it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was a good day. Yeah. That was a really good day. And I was, I was lucky. I mean, um, and I was, I worked hard, yeah. you know? So, so I think for any would-be writers out there, if you want to get a book published, I mean, do the hard work of like, get that, how to write a winning book proposal and do it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and you talk a lot about on, on uh, this good word, uh, advice to writers is no matter what, write every day. Yeah. 
consistently yeah. right, be be doing it yeah. to be able to get you there. And it sounds like that's what the consistency is what yeah. helped you yeah. get better and believe that you could write a book. And realize that I loved it, you know, mm-hmm. because I mean, I think you need all three of those. Yeah. Um, you need discipline. Um, you need to get better. And I'm still getting better by writing. And you need to learn, do I love it enough? Because it's a, it's a work. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's, it, it is a labor uh, to try to write a book. Yeah. Um, so. so how has writing changed you since you kind of, you know, started with the blog and now yeah. the book and now the second book belongs? You know, how has it changed you, do you think? Yeah. Um, Sorry, the new book's broken. I said that wrong. The new book's whole, Adam. I mean, whole? I will kill you right now for not knowing my book title. The bird's broken, though, on the cover of the book. <laughs> and then it's made whole. <laughs> we can edit this, right? No. There's I, no editing. I spelled it wrong. <laughs> H-O-L-E. Um, uh, you know, how has it changed me? I mean, I think... Um, I, there, you know, some people, they only know what they think by saying it, mm-hmm. you know, like they have to have the conversation in a counselor's office or with some good friends and then mm-hmm. they'll say it and they'll go like, Oh yeah, that, that's what I think. I think that's what it's like for me with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I still journal, you know, and that's where it's really unvarnished and unedited. And that's where I don't worry about, you know, is this ever going to get out? Um, but like with Hole, the first draft that I turned in was really raw. Like, I think it was good writing, but it was, I mean, my Mary and my editor and my publisher and my agent were all kind of like, wow, this is, this is good, but do you really want to say all this? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Um, cause I think I was in a, I was in, I was in such a, I really wanted to share my honesty. I wanted to share, but they helped me see, they helped me find a way to do that without absolutely, um, bearing my soul in yeah. a way that eh, wasn't going to be super helpful. So, but even though it didn't, and the book is very vulnerable. I mean, it's, I, I think far more vulnerable than beginnings but it's um, appropriately vulnerable, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I still got to write all that raw stuff, and I still remember right. what it was like to write some of that stuff. Like I can, I can remember certain sections right now where, oh my gosh, I'm glad that that's not going to print. You know, like <laughs> yeah. whoa, um, thank God for a really good editor, right. <laughs> editors, right? Um, because. Not everything, and I would say the same thing is true for conversations, right? Like people, people think you got to be authentic and you got to share your truth and speak your truth, you know. But then I want to say, well, where's kindness in that, yeah. you know? And 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 where's just wisdom? And is it ultimately selfish to just say everything you think, no matter what, you know? Um, that's not always the best way to go, and that's a totally different category, but. Um, but, but writing, you have to have that, that discipline too, of what is, what is for me and what is for the reader. And that's not always easy. I mean, Joel, for the songwriting, I don't know if it's the same. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you want to be really vulnerable and sometimes you're like, 
but I need to find a way to say that that um, doesn't come across as prickly. Yeah. Or um, almost like the wounded side of vulnerability where you can kind of lash yeah. in protection. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think it, uh, what I'm just uh, struck by is um, that you wrote the really raw version. Yeah. And that 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 does something to our soul. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And um, even though that isn't the version that goes out, the fact that you had a space where I could do that, you could be that uh, honest about some things, yeah, and then know and have some people help you see a really good way of giving away the um, gist of that, yeah, without having people feel like they got to take a step back because right. it's so vulnerable. It's just like I can't, I don't know what to do with that. Yes, um, and um, which just speaks to the fact that you've been vulnerable enough to let people influence your creativity, which is such a personal thing. Yeah. Um, it's a really, that's vulnerable and it's also generous where mm. you're inviting people in to help you um, say it as best as can be said, that see it with you, ask yeah. the right questions. The fact yeah. that you're willing to do that just speaks to a generous soul and someone who, um, who wants to put out work that would inspire people to their own kind of vulnerability, honesty, um, and who want to bring their good into this world. Yeah. Um, and so I'm glad that you got a place to take the most vulnerable version. And then some friends are like, you sure you want to say all that? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. And I am very thankful. Um, and I'm, I, you know, there's some stuff right now that is bubbling up in me to write, um, but it, it feels it feels like ooh, can I write that? I mean, really, like, um, so I think as a writer there, and a creative person, there, there, there's always this, like, you, um, things come up that you didn't really even think were gonna come mm. up, or that you even want to come up. But it's almost like that wants to be written, or that idea needs to be explored. And I think. What I need to do is be faithful to just exploring it, and then maybe it turns into something, and maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe it just for my own expression. So that's the like true writing. Um, writes for its own expression, and then, and then you find out is this for someone else? You know, right? And um, but you can't. I don't think you can start before it even bubbles up. With this, oh, this is going to be. I know exactly what this is going to be, and who's going to read it, and um, because you don't know. I mean, it, it's it still needs to grow into something, uh, and you have some control over it, but not total control. Right. And that's a weird, uh, that's a weird thing to try to understand or even explain. But but I really think that's true. Um, so it sounds like in a lot of ways writing kind of takes you on a journey. Oh yeah, and a good writer, you have to be open to where it's. Yeah, going. You had a destination, but you might not be going point A to B to get yeah. there. You may be going yeah. different ways, and through that, you're learning different things or finding different things yeah. in ways to say it. Yeah, that leads yes. me to a question that isn't on Adam's very full sheet of questions. <laughs> um, so, where has curiosity really played its role in what you're doing right now? Yeah, in teaching and in yeah. writing, in the podcast, because. Um, I sense your curiosity. Yeah. I thank you, Joel, for asking the question. That that's almost like the biggest beach ball for me because I think right now, um, <laughs> curiosity is one of the leading 
um, influences or, or um, like that's the horse that's pulling my cart right now. Meaning I don't like when I come across someone that says something that is really outside of the bounds of what I used to think or what I even do think now, I don't have a knee jerk reaction of like, whoa, better be careful. I go, wow, that's, that's interesting. You know, tell me more about that. Um, and I think that, and then I don't, I don't feel like my own beliefs or whatever. They're not threatened by that. They're just, they can walk alongside that and they can play with that. And then they can go home, you know, back to where they were. Um, but also I just firmly believe that we live in a really exciting time right now. Now it's messed up. It's crazy. It's fearful, but also something wants to emerge right now that is very true and, and generative. And so, but I don't think we're going to find it by boiling it down to its singular parts by figuring out the, you know, what nut fits into what screw we, we have to approach it with a kind of creative, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then let it emerge, you know, like a shy animal. Hmm. Um, and I think like I, I think a lot about people right now are, for example, leaving the evangelical church. They, they just want nothing more to do with it. They are fed up with it. And I'm, I'm in that tribe. But I get that. And it doesn't, for me, like the first, my first question is not like, what are you doing? It's just, oh, tell me. Tell me about the pain and tell me what Mm. feels like it's been too much, uh, too much of this. Tell me what has brought you to this point now. Because usually it's not uh, the people that I talk to anyway that are really having a struggle with the evangelical church are thoughtful people, really thoughtful people. Mm. It's not people who are just, you know, fly by the seat of their pants, believe whatever you want to believe. Um, and so even with that, there's a, there's a curiosity to that. Um, but then there's also like, okay, the three of us are married and this Paulo Not to each other. <laughs> just going to clarify in case anybody heard that wrong. The three of us are married to sisters, actually. Three sisters. We're all married to sisters. Sisters. <laughs> sisters. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Thanks for that clarification, Joel. Um, um, but it's so tempting to just believe your spouse is the same old person mm. that bugs you or, you know, but what, what does it look like to be curious about your spouse, you know, on the 21st year that you've been married or 25th year, or, you know, um, I think that is really the work, right? Um, cause we want them to be curious with that. Like we yeah. think we're changing always, um, you know, uh, so curiosity is really, I think it's generative. I think it's young. It's innocent. It's that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. It's not jaded curiosity. If it's embodied or like if you could personify it, it would be, you know, a seven-year-old kid with dirt, like, dirt right? on its nose, and you know, and seeing if they can jump across the creek in one bound. You know, that's curiosity. Yeah, well, it's it's not bound by the confines of what it knows so far. Right. Right. It doesn't just stay there. Right. Well, it's something I love. Rabbi Allen talks yeah. a lot about, and a few other rabbis I've heard. What I love is as they look at scripture, they hold it so gently in their mm-hmm, hand, mm-hmm. in the point of every time I see it, I may learn something different. Right. That they have that openness, and it's not about 
okay, it says X and I'm going to have to defend the X. It's, man, this time I've read it and I saw it from a different angle or yeah. a different view. And to have that uh, view of our lives or even our spouse, yeah. how much more um, rewarding is life going to be for us? Because right. it's going to take us places and see things that we'll miss. Exactly. And that's what you, you referenced it, Joel, but the, you know, the, the rabbis are always turning the gem. They, they feel like it had 70 sides, you know? So in the Midrash, uh, one of the earliest writings for the rabbis is basically one big argument between one rabbi and another about the same scriptures, you know? Uh, that's fascinating yeah. to me. Like that's totally, utterly outside of the realm of my tradition growing yeah. up. That would have never happened. Um, so... Yeah, I think reclaiming curiosity is really um, interesting to me. Yeah, it makes me um, wonder if that's like the question of the day for folks that are in the middle of their life. Yeah. Have you lost your curiosity? Yeah. And did you know that you could pick it right back up? You can, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because um, there's more. But what are the practices you have to do in order, you know, right? Well, like, well, I, So speak to that since well, you're kind of living there. Yeah, like I think, um, you know, you have to do things that you don't know how to do. And actually, you're you're living there. You you bought the farm, literally. <laughs> and every day you're learning how to, you know, fix this or do that because, you know, there's not just some endless bank account. How to uh, bleed less. <laughs> how to bleed less. Um you're doing it too, Adam. I mean, you know, starting this new job with General Mills. I mean, it's like we're all we're all doing it, but there's a way. And actually, I write about this in Whole. There's a way of leaving to go do something else without leaving it. Meaning, there's a way of trying something new without trying something new. Mm-hmm. There's 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 a way of moving to a new city, but you or doing a new job, but you're doing exactly the same routines and you're learning nothing. Mm-hmm. Versus like when God tells Abram to go forth, lech laha, the spirit really is leave everything you know and go into the metaphorical wilderness. And actually for him it was literal, but for us, it's usually metaphorical. Like what environments are we putting ourselves in where we don't know what's coming next? Almost none. I would yeah. hazard most of the time because yeah. it feels so risky. Yeah. But like anyone who's doing any work with um, people of different ethnicities, cultures, they are, you know, because it's like to walk into someone else's world. Um, like I just read through today, I just read through this um, this list of privilege questions, right? And so it was like, how often do I, you know, when I'm shopping have to look for a magazine with the person of my color on the front cover. You know, how often do I have to, and and there's this whole list of, um, and I don't want to get all about white privilege, but there's a sense of like, if, if we can move toward the other, we will be in the wilderness because we won't know. My friends, Matt and Jamel in Louisville, they both were pastors. Matt was pastor of a largely white church. Jamel was a pastor of a largely black church. And they decided to, to merge. They decided to make one church. And it's called One Church. And Matt told me this hilarious story about, like, so they tried to do a picnic of this new church, you know, that they didn't really know each other. And Matt was telling me, he's like, okay, all the white people are there 10 minutes early. And they all bought food. And, you know, 
and uh I just seen a table full of potato yeah, salad. It was. It was potato <laughs> salad, but it was like store bought cookies, store bought yeah. everything. They're there early. And the folks from Jamel's church came there a little late. Um, but everything was like home cooked, amazing. And there was this just at this picnic, you know, this enormous culture clash where, you know, how are we gonna, you know, and maybe Matt's church is a little mad that Jamel's church came late and maybe Jamel's church is a little mad because they bought, you know, barbecue chips from Cub or, you know, it's like, oh my gosh. So I, I, I do think there are opportunities for us to do things that we don't really know what we're doing, um, but you have to look for it. But, but on the other hand, you can do that with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if, if you wake up tomorrow and, and, and you say, I have never been married to this person before that exists on this day, not the one that existed yesterday, but today, I think you can start to learn stuff. I mean, I I think that's real. You almost have to be willing to step into being uncomfortable. Yes. Because even that with your spouse, it's kind of, okay, I I honestly have to step into something I'm not sure of. You do. Because that's not the person from yesterday. Right. And all those, I think, require us to step into something that we're uncomfortable. Totally. And we don't like doing that. Totally. We oh. like our comfort space. Yeah. Yeah. We really do. And, you know, that's not all bad. Which is why we're all doing this podcast in one sleeping bag. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's comfortable and normal. So comfortable and normal. <laughs> I just feel safe. <laughs> but it's not the sleeping bag from yesterday. No. This is today's, <laughs> this is today's sleeping bag. And we made it. We did not buy it. <laughs> Out of camel skin. Gross. So with that, with that view of curiosity, yeah. did, did you do something different as you wrote whole than you did beginnings? Did, did you approach it different? Yeah. Was there a different mindset for you as you kind of, or did you change some of your writing practices? How did, how did, it, how did yeah. this curiosity come alive as you were writing whole? Thanks for getting my the book title right, Adam. That means a lot to me. With a W. <laughs> Whole with a W, right? You know, my kids wanted me to name it Endings. Name it Endings, Dad. Um, that's smart. Okay, yeah. Beginnings, that's, Endings, that's, I like it. I get it. Um, well, for one thing, um, it was a whole lot harder to write, actually. Maybe there's something about your first book where, you know, the sky's the limit. None of your stories have ever been told before, so you can just share all the great ones, you mm-hmm. know, all the greatest hits. Um, so maybe there, maybe there was that. But it was really hard to write. Like I was, beginnings kind of flowed out, um, and I wrote it. Over the, I wrote beginnings over the course of about a year and a half. But it was, it never felt hard. Like it just, it took a long time, but it didn't feel like I was anguishing. With whole, there was times where I didn't know where I was going. There was times where I, I lost the plot totally and mm. thought, this is a dumb idea. I actually started with this, the uh, working title, The Geography of Wholeness. And so I was going to really look at, you know, not just the wilderness, but mountaintop and caves and, sure. you know, uh, all the different terrains of the topographies wow. of wholeness. Yeah, that sounds like a bad book idea. Yes, it was. <laughs> and I love you, but that'd been hard to buy. I know. And That's you toyed what... with the zip line of wholeness the for zip just line. like a minute. <laughs> I think it was Chris, my agent, who kind of just very gently was kind of like, you know, I don't know if you want topography in the, <laughs> in the title. title of your book. Um, 
and my publisher, I, you know, so they were very patient and they let me kind of fumble around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got back to this idea. So the, the book is structured in two parts. The first part is called the five questions of restoration. And so I looked at five of the most delicious questions that I think are found in the scriptures. And um, the first one is, where are you? And so that's what God asks Adam and Eve after they mm-hmm. sin and they're hiding. So that's that's the question that God asks Adam and Eve. And on one level, you know, you can just read it and move right past it. But on another level, um, it's a very curious question, right? I mean, it's the first question that God asks any human being. And that question is still being asked by God to us. I mean, like, right when we mess up, when we feel like a failure, when we, we go into hiding. And there God is, not with a punishing, where are you? But with a real curious, gentle, uh, invitational, where are you? Like, come, come back out. You can. Um, but not forcing us to come out. And then the second question is, am I my brother's keeper? So we, we look at the story of when Cain murders Abel. And God asks Cain the question, where is your brother? And this is the question that takes all of Genesis to figure out, right? Where is your brother? Brothers fight brothers for the rest of Genesis. That's the primary story of Genesis as I pound the table. Um, and But Cain answers the question with a question. Am I my brother's keeper? And God doesn't answer. So when God doesn't answer a question like that, you know it's going to take a long time for it to be answered. So the third question is, what are you seeking? And that's the question that Joseph gets asked. Um, So Joseph is the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. And Joseph's the son that Jacob loves. He's Rachel's boy. uh, And Rachel's the woman that he loved. And all of his other sons besides Benjamin are from Leah, the woman that he didn't love. And so that's just crazy. I mean, just that's Jerry Springer. That's, you know, uh, total uh, dysfunction. But... Uh, so his brothers want to kill him and Jacob sends Joseph out to look for him. And, and my theory is Jacob knows Jacob's not an idiot. He knows that he's sending his son out into harm's way. In fact, he says, go see to the shalom of your brothers. So that's when, you know, this question is going to finally maybe be answered. It's been 37 chapters. And, um, so this guy meets Joseph in a field this, this ubiquitous guy, stranger. the stranger, who who is this guy? Who is the stranger? And asks, what are you seeking? And for the first time, he says, I'm seeking my brothers, you know, and that's what he does. That's his whole life story. That's his goodness. That's his tove. He's going to work like crazy. And he's not always going to know that he's doing it. Like I, that's also, I don't think Joseph had this noble plan. I'm going to languish in prison you know, so that I can save my brothers. He just was in prison. He just was on that cattle train, you know, for three weeks as a slave with his hands bound and his legs bound and walking without, you know, hardly even stopping to go to the bathroom and all that stuff. I just think he he just kept doing the next right thing. And the next right thing eventually led him to really seeing to the shalom of his brothers by saving the world and because they were starving and in famine and, and part of the world that he saved was his brothers, you know? So the whole prelude to the whole story of the scriptures, which really starts in Exodus with the, the, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph are now in bondage in Egypt 
And now, how will they, you know, how will they get out? Uh, who will hear them and who will hear their cries? So um, anyway, there's a couple other questions, too. But then the second part is the journey from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land. So it's much more communal journey. Like, what does it mean to travel with your community through those? And so it's the, it's, it's, it's the classic birth, death, rebirth, you know, because you're born in Egypt you really die in the wilderness, and then you're reborn in the in the promised land. So um, I love this book. I, I really love it, and I hope um, I hope people pick up the um, the urgency of of mm. it. Yeah. So you've asked some of your guests this: Where is God? Yeah. Um. Well, I you know even going back to the Exodus story. When we read that God heard the cries of his people and he responded. And so I think, boy, there's a lot of ways to answer that question. But when we cry out to God, there is God. And I don't think that always means the next day the taxi comes and we leave. Of course, it doesn't mean that. It didn't mean that for Joseph as he was languishing in prison. And it didn't mean that for a whole lot of people. Um, but I think... For the when we are at our most hidden, when we are at our most broken, when we are crying out to God, there there is God. So God is God is where there is suffering. Um, I think, but and suffering can look can look. It's not just in the poorest of the poor areas of Calcutta. It's right here in Maple Grove in the five bedroom homes that are four thousand square feet and more. It's everywhere, you know. So. Um, so God is God is with those who suffer. I also think God is out ahead of us, pulling us toward restoration. God is doing the work, and God is not behind us, so that we have to go back and look. You know, there's that there's that verse in Deuteronomy. Help me, you guys, but it's like God is not far away across the sea. God is not, you know, God is actually right here, closer than our own breath, closer than our own breath. So Yahweh. Yeah, so where is God? On one sense, God is right here mm. with us. Um, and not always vocal, you know. And I do think, like, if you read Mother Teresa's um, journals, which she asked to never be published, but we published them anyway, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see a saint that had long, long periods of, of absence, mm. of, of not experiencing the presence of God. So that's the other thing I think um, I was always taught, like, read your Bible, pray, you're going to feel God. And I don't know that that's true. Um, yeah, read your Bible. Yeah, pray. And you, you'll you'll meet God along the way. Um, but, you know, even the story of Joseph, we have no record of God talking. We have no dialogue mm -hmm. from, from Genesis 37 all the way through 50. There's no dialogue between Joseph and God. Now, that doesn't mean that God didn't, right. you know, but in other places, there's there's absolutely dialogue, mm -hmm. but not there. Not there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, so even when God doesn't seem to be there, I know this sounds cliche, uh, but, but I do believe God is somehow there, somehow there. Right. The silence of God doesn't mean the absence of. Yeah, like, you know, I think about the parable of the prodigal son when the, when the father is speaking to the older son. I'm always with you and all I have is yours. 
even though the the, the the older son is basically calling his father an idiot, you know, for receiving the younger son back in. I'm always with you, and all I have is yours. Which sounds like the garden. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the, there are ways where... Um, your question was, so where is God? It's not, it's not, there's no, there is no cliche answer to that, really, no. right? Um, not that God's a moving target, but there's just not one where. Yeah. Well, in if God is, I will be what I will be. Trixie. You know, okay. and, I, and that's the great sin, I think, of the last 300 years is in our quest to know God, we've. We've broken God down into its understandable parts and its systematic um, ways of understanding it. And that had a place, you know. Thank mm -hmm. God for it. It had a place. But it, but if we think that that's where it ends, you know, that, yeah. well, here we are, 2017. We figured it out. And we're going to crucify anyone else who thinks that there might be something else to know about God. That's when I think, like that, I would call almost heresy. Because now we're, or idolatry, now we're putting an idol on our understanding of the God of 2017. And it's not heresy, but it certainly feels like idolatry. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the, how can we enter in with curiosity even to our relationship with God? Yes. Right? To, to be uncomfortable and maybe step in yes. some, some beliefs and understandings and to learn that he might not be the Sunday school God right. that we knew or this father figure God um, or even I love you do a lot on the genderfulness of God yeah. that how do we how are we curious about we taught we're taught him in a box. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that box there's nothing wrong with no. what's in the box but maybe there's a lot more outside the box. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. I love how you, how you said that. And I think we're going to put God in the box. Mm hmm. The problem is if we keep them there, you know, like just let God break out of that box. Then we're going to bank another box, you know, and that's okay. But just let's keep breaking the boxes, right? I mean, that's the, that's the journey. And that's what's, that's what's interesting to me. It's not interesting to just, you know, like if I believe the exact same thing in 10 years that I believe right now, that's, oh, really? You know, really? Yeah, there will be a few things, I hope, anchor points, but... I hope that that changes and flows and and becomes and emerges and that feels interesting, um, and it feels generative. I think things can flow from that. Right. And a word I've heard you use a lot is, is expansive. Yeah. Right. It keeps it from being Egypt, the narrow place and a narrow way. It, it continues to to widen because it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And I just don't think there's anything to fear in that. Right. You know, I just think, I don't know. You're going to get some things wrong. Of course. That's okay. Yeah. Stop fearing that. Yeah. And a lot more becomes you know? possible. Yes. Right? Like, you you, you know, at least 43% of what you believe right now is not true. It, it, it's, it's not right. Yeah. You know, like, so just, just, okay. Yeah. You know. It was told to you convincingly. Yeah. So. By well-intentioned people. Yeah. And I'm not saying just abandon everything. Yeah. Right. At all. I'm not saying that. And I'm also not saying deconstruct everything. And that's what's fun is deconstruction. Nah. I mean, you do have to construct something solid and joyful and, and, and real. But, you know, break some things down. <laughs> Build them back up. That's interesting. Uh.
Yeah. That's great. I know we've been going for a while, so I'm going to ask your final question that you normally ask. Mm. Is there something we didn't ask you that you would have liked for us to have asked you? Yeah. I've got a couple. You got a couple? <laughs> if we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, I don't know if there – I mean, what are you working on now is a fun question. Um, Steve, what are you working uh, on I I am working on something um, that has to do with the um, like the un the unlistened to disciples, the ones that are the B listers, mm. the the in imagining the journey toward and with Jesus from a very earthy, gritty, non spotlight you know, in between the miracles kind of way, because um, I'm very curious about Jesus right now, actually, because I think Jesus has been so hijacked. Um, we don't even, I think he's so familiar that he's unfamiliar as Dallas Willard would say. Um, so I, I'm working on something and I'm seeing where that goes, you know, mm -hmm. it, it might go nowhere, but um yeah. So, and I even, I'm not going to share it, but I have a working title that I love that I'm sure my publisher and editor and agent will say, well, let's, let's keep trying. <laughs> Hopefully, topography is not it. No, no topography. Moving a little forward. Well, uh, I'll let everyone, I mean, in a little bit, if it's it's a musical. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And yeah. topography is hard to sing. So that's, that's not worth it. Out. The soil samples of the life of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys read um um is it the gospel according to biff jesus christ uh christ childhood pal oh no oh my gosh it's christopher moore it's one of the greatest books ever it is so great it it, will it you put that in the show notes i will i will um I, I, is it the gospel according to biff well no it's 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 called lamb Lamb. Okay. And then the the, the okay. subtitle is something like the Gospel according to to Biff. But 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 the premise is um, the people of the of, of of the modern day have sort of lost the plot, and so they this angel resurrects Biff, who was Jesus' best friend, but he was he was not allowed to write a gospel because he was such a jackass, you know. <laughs> um, but, but but the angel resurrects him and then he he like they hole up in this hotel and he has to write his story down um so and then you know so you go back and you, you, all these and it's hilarious but it's also really poignant i mean it's really fascinating um you know it's jesus from a very um uh human perspective in a way that's very interesting mm -hmm. um and so I don't want to copy that book, but that kind of human, gritty, earthy, uh, without falling off the cliff and being overtly weird or cheesy, that's interesting to me mm. um, as a way of getting to know this Jesus, who I think is still the most beautiful, compelling, um, you know, person who ever lived, but, but, you know, in a in a real way, the Christ, the Savior of the world. The, I mean, there's something about him that we we need to keep learning. And um, 
But even as I say that, I, I just go, gosh, you know, w- one more book about about the life of Christ, right? I mean, how can you possibly add to that? Um, but then at the end of John, right, John writes, man, if there, it, 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 I, I left out a lot, he says. And if, if, if there was all the, all the, like, I couldn't fill up all the books and all the libraries of the world with all the things that Jesus did, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's in that vein that I yeah. want to kind of play with, like, what, what might have happened? So that's great. Yeah. So the book whole, you can pre-order today. Yep. Right. From yep. Off of Amazon and yep. where books are sold. Yep. Then what's the official release date? August 22, it drops. Yep. So, um, um, and if you live here in the twin cities, uh, I'm going to have some kind of a book release party that we're still putting the details together on, but stay tuned for that. Um, even if you don't live here in the twin cities, if you want to make a trip, we will have fun. Um, but yeah, it really helps to pre-order, uh, it, 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 the more, cause all those sales go to day one, it counts on day one and the more sales that happen on day one through seven, um, just, just the better for, mm-hmm. for future stuff. So, um, yeah, pre-order it and, um, and you can, you can also find the link to it and some other information on, on my website, stevewings.com. You can get beginnings on there too. So That's sweet, awesome. sweet. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for letting us hang with you. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize is, although we're brother-in-laws, you guys are the best. Yeah, we're good friends. Love dear you, friends. and we could be going on for four or five hours, which might be a enjoyable for us, but maybe not for people listening in. But, um, <laughs> Please stop. Please stop for the love. The only thing I would say is uh, listening to this good word and 100 episodes you're very genuine. Mm. So people who may not have the opportunity to know you like we do, mm. they should know that it's you that they're experiencing and mm. you're putting yourself out there, um, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Mm. Uh, and that's really meaningful and cool. So thanks, man. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, yeah. Joel. Love you guys. Love you too. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Ween's author. Twitter at Steve Weens and Instagram at Steve Weens. And you can find all my work, all my books, the show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash this good word. The truth was you knew you were losing that fight in your suburban